Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast Number 7. Another crappy podcast production. Hi, my name's Alan, and I love Disney. Dinner is served in six months. Previously on the Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast, I finally figured out why things had been so quiet around here. As it turned out, I wasn't receiving notifications when folks would leave me voicemail. Well, I'm still not receiving notifications now, but at least I know to go out and check for new messages from time to time. And amazingly enough, a few folks have responded and called in again. First, Big Brian from BigBrian-NC.com provided this addendum to a message I played in Episode 6. Hey, Alan, this is Big Brian at Big Brian's Disney Podcast. I just caught uh, episode six of the Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast. And uh, uh, I, I, I just wanted to comment on <laughs> the, the, the message I left before. After I left it, I did kind of cringe at some of the things I said. even thought about uh, maybe calling you back and saying, yeah, I don't use that. But, um, but even the things I did cringe about, I still wanted to hear what you had to say, so that's kind of why I let it stand. Um, the thing I cringed most about was that I, I may have sounded a little bit harsh on the Florida dance, and I love the Florida dance. So um, I was more sharing that other guy's opinion from the mail on some of those things, and I totally agree with you on pretty much everything you said. Uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, I agree with it. You know, you know, they said that Bob Iger not too long ago said, you know, Disney fans gotta lighten up, and uh, I found myself saying that a few times at Mouse Fest. <laughs> but um, there's also times to to vent a little bit, and that's what your show is so great for. So it was nice to uh, get it off my chest, and uh, even if I did um, soften my stance compared to what it sounded like. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I sounded a, a lot more uh, upset putting it all together like that, especially reading that other guy's email, because he really was uh, a bit upset, you could tell. But uh, I enjoyed the show, and uh, keep up the great work on all your shows, and I uh, look forward to hearing something else from you again soon. Talk to you later. Bye for now. Oh, and keep on mousing it up, too. Bye. Thanks for the clarification, Brian, and thanks for doing your part to contribute to the Disney Potosphere with your podcast. Look for Big Brian's Disney Podcast, which is now known as Mousin' It Up, in iTunes or over at bigbrian-nc.com. Today on the Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast, we'll be planning out episode number 27, which will be broadcast in approximately six months. We'll take a shot at predicting exactly what topics will be hot in the Disney fan community then, and try to anticipate exactly what voicemail will be left for that show. But first... Hi, Alan. It's Ethan from Virginia, uh, calling in to get my little uh, Disney Dweeb rant here. I uh, just wanted to let you know that, uh, well, I don't know if you actually got this message or not, so I'm going to leave it again since uh, you said that uh, you had problems with your mail. I'm going to tell you that after listening to your gumbo episode that I wanted to make a little vent about the fact that Disney has managed to do the impossible. They figured out how to take a positive thing and a positive thing and convert it over into a severely negative thing. Case in point. If you've been over to Walt Disney World lately, one of the things they can add onto the tickets is uh, something known as the Disney Dining Plan. This, on its own, is a wonderful thing worth its weight in gold. 
for about maybe $37 extra every day from paying onto the ticket that you're going to be in the park. They actually give you a counter service meal, a table service meal, and a snack for the day. Now, $37 may be actually sounding a little bit steep on that, but if you've actually seen the prices in the park lately, they're a little high. So, uh, I actually remember the last time we were in the park, my wife and I, after finishing uh, a lunch at a counter service meal, noticed that the tab actually equals somewhere close to almost $50. So, if you look at that, $25 out of that being lunch, and paying $37 a day, it's almost already cooped its current price just on lunch alone. So that's just the most wonderful thing right there. And plus, if you have little kids and you want to use that for like a character breakfast, or if you have two of you want to get away and have a really signature meal, you can kind of take two of your cable service meals and convert them over into a most pleasurable feeling, a piece of food. So there's that one point there. Now there's the second great thing. Disney has opened up the reservation lines to almost six months ahead of time. That's right, six months ahead of time, you can book whatever restaurant you want. And there are no tables set aside for people who just want to check in that day. So you can have as many tables as you want to the the reservation system. So that's a great thing right there. So you can just sit there and pick food and not even worry about it the the day what you're you're actually going to sit down and eat your food or where you're going to go. You have it all laid out there in front of you. Now here comes the negative thing. So we've now put in the fact that uh, we have free food. So if you can dine anywhere, where do you want to dine? And then comes to the fact that you can sit there and six months ahead of time actually go out and pick the food you want. Well, if you think about it, Six months out, do you really know what you want to eat that day? Because you're sitting there and there's a restaurant in front of you. You could sit there and say, you know what, six months from now, I'd like to eat at the Japanese Abashi house. But is that really what I'm going to want that day? But uh, that's, I don't know, can you really figure out whether you want to have seafood on a Wednesday six months out? Uh, I guess that's up to debate right there. But the other really interesting thing is the fact that uh, when you actually are walking into the park, and this is the problem we've been into the last time, is that here we have all these table service menus, and all of the restaurants are by reservation. So when you walk up to the place and say, I'd like a table for two, they look at you and say, oh, I'm sorry, we're all booked up. We've been booked up for six months. And he asks them, okay, well, what about tomorrow night? Nope, sorry, we're all booked up. We've been that way for six months. So pretty much, if you haven't already chosen what you want to eat ahead of time, you're not going to actually sit at a table service restaurant. So I found that it's a little bit slightly on the annoying side that Disney, one, did not think ahead of time that uh, this might be a surge of people going to these restaurants because they're sitting there saying, hey, they're free, why don't we go? At the same time, you also have this other problem with the fact that uh, uh, you want to go to a table and there aren't any set aside for people who have said uh, just, there are people out there who, let me start it. There are people out there who just sit there and say, you know what, I feel like eating Mexican tonight. Why don't we go over to Epcot and go eat at a Mexican place? Well, you can't exactly do that anymore because once you get there, they're going to tell you that, uh, well, I'm sorry, we're all booked up. We're booked up tomorrow and booked up the day after that. And the day after that, I ain't looking so good either. And that's my little rant about their food system. So the, the, the fact that they actually could take a positive and a positive equal a negative, well, that's just weird in my book. But uh, thanks for letting me rant.
You know, Ethan, this voicemail really irked me, and I'll tell you why. The whole concept of dining at Disney World has really changed since my visits to the parks in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Back then, as long as you could afford it, everything was pretty much fair. Having more money meant you had more dining options than someone like me, but being rich didn't get you on Space Mountain any sooner than being poor. Unless we're talking about VIP tours or something. And poor is probably a poor word to use when discussing Disney, since you have to have a lot of money to even get in the place these days. But, but that's not my point. Oh, and ignoring all the special Fast Pass stuff that resort guests now get. My point is, back then, you could do anything you wanted simply by putting forth the effort to do it. If riding Splash Mountain was your top priority, you knew you could just stand in line or get there first thing in the morning. Even on those magic morning days when the park was already flooded and lines already long, you just had to decide if riding that one attraction was worth all the time you'd lose elsewhere by standing in line. Simple. I remember many work trips where I had limited time in the park, so I'd simply skip those long lines. They weren't a priority for me, but I'd do whatever it took for a ride on Pirates or Mansions, since to me, a visit to Disney just isn't the same without a ride on those two. Dining was similar. You could show up first thing in the morning and make lunch reservations. At Epcot, you could make them through little touchscreen kiosks around the park, then just walk over. But I was never one on reservations. At Disneyland, I'd always just go uh, and dine at the Blue Bayou, and I never had a problem getting in. At Disney World, I had breakfast in the castle, dinner in Mexico, lunch at the Sci-Fi Drive-In, and, and many other places, all without ever scheduling ahead. The more important it was, the more of a priority it was to simply get there early in the day and request a dining time. Easy. Now, to be honest, I was never a real big dining fan. My priority was always the rides and shows. It was only when I started taking my own trips to the parks that I began exploring the many fine restaurants. I still maintain that in most cases I can find food as good if not better and at a fraction of the cost in my local area. It was always the atmosphere and theming that made things special. I've eaten at several of the original Rainforest Cafes in Chicago uh, years before the one opened up at Disney's Animal Kingdom, so it's not really a big deal to eat there at Disney World. And I can buy all the Wonka bars I want at my local Blockbuster video, but I can't ride pirates anywhere outside of Disney. But apparently there are a lot of people that do place eating as a top priority. To them, a trip to Disney is not complete without eating at the Beer Garden in Germany. For them, it was a great deal when Disney began taking reservations 30 days in advance. But as soon as that started happening, those of us who don't plan trips around eating were suddenly at a disadvantage. I have no problem with advanced reservations. If you know a Broadway show is making its way through your area and you want to schedule a night to go see it, that's one thing. But I don't always end up at the same restaurant I plan to eat at when going out on a Friday night. Hey, let's go to El Rodeo. Oh, you know what? I had Mexican food for lunch this week. How about let's go to Cheddar's instead? Stuff like that. So the concept of making my vacation around Mills is just out of the question. But I could see doing it for a possibly once-in-a-lifetime experience, like the one time you spend all that money to eat in the castle or go see the hoop to do review. Now, I hope you understand where I'm coming from here. Reservations themselves are not a problem. The problem is the fact that Disney World has pretty much turned into a reservation-only eating place unless you want some counter-service hamburgers or greasy chicken strips. Extending reservations out to six months or longer and adding dining plans only made matters worse. Now folks are prepaying for food, and now they have to eat, else they're just throwing money away. And I don't blame them. I would too. Disney is expensive enough without wasting money. But I'll tell you a little secret. 
In spite of what I was fearing after listening to certain Disney podcasts go on and on about how crucial reservations are to get into restaurants, some part of me couldn't believe it could possibly be that bad. I mean, surely Disney wouldn't do something that would impact so many guests, would they? Telling someone, sorry, we're full for lunch today, is one thing. But being told, oh, haha, we were full six months ago, too, is quite another. Well, I guess they don't need my money if they're doing so well, right? So I'm irked by your message for two reasons. First, it reminds me that unless I plan ahead six months, I probably have no chance of eating anything other than fast food during my multi-thousand dollar trip to Disney World. Second, if I invest in the Disney dining plan thinking it's a really great deal, it's going to end up being a really bad deal if I don't pre-book all my restaurants six months in advance. And third, it's sorta wrong. Yeah, that's right, wrong. Sorta. I'll explain in a moment. As I started listening to all these crappy Disney podcasts, I started hearing how much things had changed out there. How it could take 45 minutes to travel by bus from certain resorts to a theme park. How you couldn't expect to eat anywhere if you didn't plan way ahead. How obscenely expensive everything now was compared to how obscenely expensive it was 10 years ago. Now, since I'd always had a rental car and stayed off-site, I knew I could open up my hotel door, walk 10 feet to my car, and be at the entrance of any Disney park in under 15 minutes. It's really easy to do. And when I paid for nine days of a cheap hotel, what one night at a Disney moderate would cost, I came out way ahead by being able to enjoy longer vacations and spend more money on tangible things like light up Mickey Mouse ears. But I digress, that's the subject of another podcast. Uh, by wrong, I mean, yes, it's certainly bad today trying to find any place to eat at Disney World if you don't book it last year. But don't give up just because you lack planning skills. It's not impossible. Here's a dirty little secret. Even a guy like me from Des Moines, Iowa, who was told by Disney that there were no vacancies at any Disney resort last December, managed to eat at a number of sit-down restaurants with no problem. At the Disney MGM Studios, we ate lunch at the Primetime Cafe. At the Magic Kingdom, we couldn't get into the castle, which was really no big surprise, uh, so I decided to call up Tony's, since I'd never eaten there. Could they get us in? Sure, no problem. Come right over. We literally walked up to Main Street and were able to eat that night within a 10 minutes of the phone call. The funny part was that the lobby was crowded and the hostess was stunned I was suddenly on her list. Now maybe I'm just lucky, I mean, they even made chicken parmesan for me and it's not on the menu. Heck, we got a year of a million dreams prize in everything this trip. But, but that's not all. At Epcot, I asked at Mexico and was told they were booked. But when I pressed the issue, I was told a time to come back and that we could probably get in. Meanwhile, some friends were dining across the world at Italy, I think it was, and when I spoke to that restaurant, they said no way, unless I came back at 9.30. But doesn't the park close by then, I asked? Yes, but they seat right up until that time. It looks like they seat right up until closing, but reservations are not made for that time. Now, now keep in mind you're listening to a podcast and not Disney. Nothing we podcasters say is official. We're just guessing and speculating and sharing experiences. Do not plan your vacation on anything I or any other podcaster says. Do some research on your own and make some phone calls. Just because it worked for me multiple times at multiple theme parks, your mileage may vary. Now, if a restaurant is your number one priority and you can live with scheduling your trip around eating, by all means, schedule that reservation and that's one less thing you have to worry about other than, you know, getting there on time on the right day and being hungry for that food. 
Now, if you want to save a few bucks by doing the Disney dining plan, go for it, as long as you're prepared to schedule in advance and take whatever you can get. I always fear that I'd end up having to eat at some less popular Epcot place multiple times because nothing else I wanted was available, so it's not something I'm ready to try yet. But for everyone else, don't get as depressed as I was thinking you'd never sit down at a Disney restaurant again without a reservation. Even during a time when every hotel was completely booked, we were able to dine a number of times. The only place I would have made reservations for would have been uh, Cinderella Castle, so maybe I'll do that next trip. I, I guess my point is, it never hurts to try, even if a podcaster tells you not to bother. And for you Disneylanders out there, here's a quick story. Uh, what do you think the most elite dining experience is at Disneyland? Now, most of you out there probably are saying, like, Club 33 right now. It's a super-secret members-only club, which is the only place at Disneyland that serves alcohol. But in truth, Club 33 serves hundreds of people every day. There's actually a number of things far more elite, such as special dining events that have been held inside the Haunted Mansion. Now, ignoring those big-ticket special events, how many of you know about the Fantasmic Dinner Buffet? When Fantasmic is performed, a small group of 8 to 12 people will be seated up on the Disney Gallery balcony overlooking New Orleans Square and watching. Ever noticed them? They are dining on an all-you-can-eat desserts buffet. It's, it's like cheesecake and drinks like espresso and mint julep. It's easy to consume the ticket price and pricey desserts and drinks without even gorging yourself. It's a near-perfect view of the show, and they even pipe in the sound to speakers right up on the balcony, so it's very, very cool. Now, I found out about this back in the 90s, and I wanted to get in. The way it worked was you had to reserve at the Blue Bayou Reservation Podium in New Orleans Square. Now, at the start of the day, there'd be the usual mad dash to the big rides, and a smaller group would be running to New Orleans to try to get their Blue Bayou or Dessert Buffet reservation scheduled. I had an unsuccessful sprint once or twice, then a friend of mine, Steve, helped out and managed to get over there in time to snag a spot. Very cool, and I thank him to this day for that. Now, if you're wondering how this relates, well, back then, no reservations were made other than on the day. So everyone who got to the park for opening had a chance. First come, first serve, just like everything else. Though I, I guess those of us who could actually walk faster did have an advantage. Hey, hey, only the strong survive, right? Survival of the fittest, whatever. Eventually, Disneyland must have decided that they didn't like all the sprinting or perhaps had too many complaints from out-of-shape visitors. So they moved the reservations up to the Main Street City Hall. Now, being fast didn't matter anymore. You just had to be lucky enough to get in through the turnstiles before others. Then, they started taking reservations by phone, and from that point forward, all bets were off. Now, I forget how far in advance we had to plan the last time we did this, but it was far more frustrating. First, we had to be up and on the phone when Disneyland's reservation lines were opening. Fortunately, the time zone works out in our favor, but it must really suck to have to get up at 4 a.m. or whatever to call Florida from the West Coast. Anyway, we tried and tried for days, met with busy signals, all operators are busy, and sorry, we're already full. Now, we lucked out and managed to get our slot in on our final day of the trip, and I expect that's going to be the last time we ever do this buffet. It's, it's great and all, but I have better things to do with my time than get up trying to get through some busy phone lines every single morning. Now, as prices continue to increase, and this buffet now costing about $50, I think it's the same if not more than a full day in the park, and uh, the major hassles to get a spot because you're competing with the whole world via phone instead of a group of dedicated in-park guests, well, they've effectively made it something only for the truly dedicated diehards who can't survive unless they experience that one thing on their trip, and good for them. 
Those probably are the same types of people that managed to get a Nintendo Wii and PlayStation 3 before Christmas by standing in line all night out in front of Best Buy or whatever. So I'm irked because you basically have reminded me that, unless you get lucky, dining at Disney World is a lot like trying to get the new next-generation game system as soon as it's introduced. And I think we all know how we feel about those folks when we see them on the local newscast. Hey, don't mind me. I'm just bitter because I'm not as organized as those of you who have such great planning skills. I'll get over it. Besides, it was still much cheaper and easier to eat at some of those fancy places at SeaWorld and Universal Studios this past trip. And Isle of Adventure currently has the number one top-rated theme park restaurant in the world, so it looks like this is good for everyone. Disney stays totally booked, and competing theme parks can pick up some extra business, and only us diehard fans and podcasters who even care about this stuff get irked. Oh well, it could be worse. It could be something that actually matters. Agree? Disagree? Then get your own podcast and do your own show, darn it. Or pick up the phone and call 206-3090-227 and rant away. I'll try to use your comments on an upcoming episode. Until next time, this is Alan, and this is the Disgruntled Disney Dweeb Podcast. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you think. Call 206-3090-227. That's 206-3090-227. Another crappy podcast production.